Alright, you guys doing okay? If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23? And we worshipped and we sang about breakthrough. I'm going to share with you a little bit about the God of breakthrough, okay? And we will be looking at verses 13 to verse 16. So we have four verses that we are going to cover today. And let's read 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 13 to verse 16. It says, During harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And David longed for water. He said, Oh, that someone will get me a drink of water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistines' lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as worship before the Lord. Keep your finger on these four verses. And this is a remarkable story about the three mighty men and their breathtaking devotion and act of courage to King David. And the Lord has been speaking to me this year that every time when I study the Old Testament, when I look at the different stories in the Old Covenant, I will see Christ in it. And you know, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, Luke tells us that when he was meeting his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he says, it's interesting that you read the Bible for years, yet you are confounded. You are amazed that the anointed deliverer of Israel, which is me, would die and be raised from the dead. So in Luke chapter 24, it says, beginning with the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, Jesus showed them what was in all the scriptures concerning him. I don't want to say that every warrior that you read about in the Old Covenant Every, um, every king is pointing to the greater king. Every warrior is pointing to the greater warrior. And every servant is pointing to the greater servant, which is Christ. Amen? Let me give you a quick context about this story in 2 Samuel chapter 23. When I first read this story, I thought, wow, it's probably another one of David's exploits. While he was on the run from Saul. Why? Because it sounds very familiar, right? But this story is not found in 1 Samuel. And 2 Samuel chapter 23 is one of the last few chapters in 2 Samuel. And David was on his deathbed. He was recalling the things that has happened in his life. This was like his deathbed speech. And suddenly he recalls his mighty man. In the midst of it, this random story pops up. And the narrative goes on and looks at those who supported David, his mighty man. And it seemed like God would not go through this entire ordeal through David alone. So David's men play an important role and highlight many things for us which is very encouraging. And we think about our own involvement in the kingdom of God that we will never walk through this life alone. We should not push the kingdom of God forward alone. Amen? And putting them here at the end after David's deathbed speech leaves us with the impression that God has done it through not just one man, but through many. Amen? So I began to check the timeline and the plot of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 23. I realized, hey, this is not when David was running away from Saul. So when did this story happen? And this happened much later. This happened earlier on on David's career as king. 
And this is the same wall that was spoken of in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. So let's rewind the clock a bit and we see that all we know from 1 Samuel, it accounts that Saul was intent about killing David because of jealousy. So David had to flee into the wilderness to become a fugitive to save his life. And while he was out there, hundreds of people came to him and gathered around him and these were broken people, they were rejected people, they were fugitives. And out of those hundreds of people, while David was a fugitive out in the wilderness, he handpicked about 30 to 40 strong elite warrior companions. They defended their leader until Saul died and the people made David king. And these handpicked mighty men all became leaders in David's administration. They became leaders in, in David's military army. They became leaders in helping him govern the nation. And they were called David's mighty men. The Hebrew word is giborim. They were David's giborim. And now we come to this story from verse 13 onwards. So just within a few months after he was crowned king, the Philistines, the arch rivals of the Israelites, they decided this is the right time. We need to go to Israel and we need to drive this new king out. As soon as David became king, the Philistines came and attacked because they were afraid that David would establish a greater kingdom than Saul ever did. And they were right because this was David. God's anointed, not only God's anointed, but the thrice anointed king. This was David's, this was God's chosen king. And he was demonically motivated to remove God's anointed. The hordes of hell, all of hell is driving this. And here's what we know so far. First of all, the Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim, just a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. They had already taken over Bethlehem itself. So this was now the headquarters. And a Philistine's presence in the valley of Rehem and Bethlehem suggests a significant incursion right into the heart of Israel. All right? They were deep in Hebrew land. And some scholars said that David fled Jerusalem, the, the capital, because of what happened, because of the assault by the Philistines. And Bethlehem, of course, we know this was David's hometown but had gone all the way to the heart of Israel. And we can read in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David had just taken Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He just got Jerusalem and make it into the city of David. He had just reclaimed the, the hill of Zion. This was going to be his greatest victory, all right? And now this happened. Imagine your birthplace, your hometown is now the enemy's headquarters. And we are told David, as a result, had to flee and he set up his stronghold in a cave. And this shows that the Philistines had essentially run David out into the wilderness again. And where was he again? In the cave of Adullam. So what's the significance of this cave? A lot of us, um, when we hear about David, we always hear about this cave, the cave of Adullam. Let me just give you a quick recap. We first encounter the cave of Adullam in 1 Samuel chapter 22. When David was fleeing from Saul, he found refuge in this cave. And there's another passage of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Something crazy happened. When David found that Saul was beginning to come close to him, he went to the enemy's kingdom of Gath. And he was there. He, he pretended to be nobody to, to take refuge in the enemy's king's court. And suddenly, his, uh, the king's men saw David and said, Isn't he David? Didn't they sing about him in Israel? The stupid song takes getting into a lot of trouble. Uh, Saul has killed his thousand, but David killed his ten thousand. We heard about it in our nation. This is the same David. And David got scared. And the Bible says that he pretended to be a crazy man. How many of you have been so scared 
that you tried to be a crazy man to run away from your enemies. He let saliva drip down from his, from his beard. He began to claw on the dolls like a dog. And the king said, get rid of this crazy man out of my court. And it shows from the scripture that once again, David fled from the presence of the king and went to the cave of Adullam. So, but the scripture says that while he was there, those who were in distress or in debt, they were discontented, they gathered around him and he became their commander. They grew and went through trials together and these people became his mighty men. And right now, his mighty men once again, once again, gathered around their master and their lord and began to serve him in the same cave. And verse 13 says that the whole assault happened during harvest time. And this point is important. It means that the whole nation of Israel were on the verge of disaster. Because when the Philistines came in and planted the harvest, it would mean that Israel would be cut off from their annual food supply. All right. That means there was no food for the entire nation because it was the time for them to reap the harvest. So let me just paint this entire picture so you understand what is happening to David and his kingdom. David had just become king and he had just been run out from his own capital. The Philistines were in the heart of Israel. They were essentially about to drive him out of his land, overthrow him. His people were at a risk of starving. So things were looking really dark. So you have to understand all of that if you're going to understand what he says in verse 15. He said, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. Because this story is not about water. Because he has been in the cave for many years. And scholars said, historians said that the cave of Adullam is well supplied with water. So this is not about water. David was not physically thirsty for a drink. What is happening to David? This story is about loss and reassured promises. He's wrestling not physically with physical thirst. He's wrestling spiritually with the promises of God. He wanted a taste of the reminder of what was promised. Because David had all of the incredible promises and prophecies about his kingdom and about his kingship. And before he had virtually taken the throne, where was he again? Back in the same cave. Can you imagine? You just became king. This is, this is your time to show your congregation how good of a senior pastor you are. This is the time for you to show them, I'm going to be a wise leader, I'm going to be a strong king. But just... Before your seat becomes warm, you're chased out of the kingdom again, right back into the same cave. You thought you had your breakthrough. You thought you already passed a ziggurat test. You have already strengthened yourself in the Lord. And now Saul is dead. You even recover the kingly city of David, Zion. Zion is already yours. You are just about to show people who you are. They anointed you. They appointed you. And in their eyes, you're God's chosen one. And finally, years of hoping and waiting and persevering, you're finally now on the throne. And just like that, everything gets taken away again. David's a fugitive, fugitive again. And what kind of a king can't even drink water from his own well? What kind of king can't even feed his own people? A loser of a king, if I can say so. A loser of a king. A joke of a king. And you can imagine the anguish in David's heart and mind. And he's struggling here. His heart, his emotions, his soul is being attacked. God promised him that he would set David up. And his line would be a very important line of descendants. His line would fulfill some great destiny in the world history. And all of these promises were there. And here's David. that He's so weak 
that he cannot get a drink of water from his hometown. It looks like his defeat was certain. And he's saying that, were I really able to be king? Is my descendants going to be a godly people before the Lord? Is, my, is, my, is, is the call of God really on my life? And he's beginning to say all of these things. He's longing for uh, lost assurance. And he's saying to himself, the promises of God is lost to me. I'm losing hope. But what happened? The three mighty men who walked with him for years, who understood the call of God in his life, who remembered the promises of God over David, heard him and said, no, 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 it's not, not on our watch. And they went through, and it would have been remarkable if the men had used stealth and secretly managed to go to Bethlehem. I always thought they were like um, the Navy SEALs. You know, Navy SEALs, they don't chong ah. No, not chong, cannot say Chong is, a, is our dialect. They, they, they don't openly attack people, okay? Navy SEALs usually go in the cover of the night. They, they like commando, they crawl, okay? But no, no, no. According to the scriptures, this was not quiet, okay? This was not like quiet, put your, put your camel on, go. No, no, this was outright just attacking people, blatant attack, okay? This was not the start of the Spendable movies. This was the end of the Spendable movies. <laughs> okay. And it was so loud, it was so vocal, and it's so amazing, right? Uh, it was reckless, it was alarming, but it speaks volumes of the devotion that David's men had to their master. And this is one of the few moments in David's life that shows the love that he inspired in his followers. It was powerful that God enabled these mighty warriors in one of the greatest feet ever to bring back a skin of water for David. And what's the significance of this? It says that David and the entire army gets energized because news began to spread about this bungee jump of faith. If three men full of the Spirit of God can do this, what about an entire army? And they, they changed the entire atmosphere. God in His grace allows David to be reminded that His promises are true and can be trusted. Sometimes God will bring trusted people in our paths to demonstrate acts of courage, to remind us that God is faithful. Right. And David, overwhelmed by this, could not drink it. He poured it out as a drink offering. Why? To remind himself and his men that their act of bravery was not due to their humanistic courage. It was not due to his worthiness as a king, but due to the grace and the faithfulness of Yahweh. The people that God gives you is a gift. Their service, their love, their loyalty to you is a gift. If you see other people as being there to meet your needs, to satisfy your thirst, then you will always become demanding towards them. You will treat them as if they are there to fulfill your dreams. But if you see instead the people that God loves you as gifts from the Lord, then you'll be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for every expression of love that you receive in your life. Every time when someone comes to you with a compliment, sometimes people come to you and say, oh, you're so awesome, oh, we love you so much, do not take it all to yourself. Pour it out as an offering before the Lord. Amen. The people that God comes to you with faith and loyalty, they are gifts before the Lord. It's not because you are good, but because He is good. Amen. That every time you receive something that makes you have goosebumps, do not drink it all in and think, wow, I'm a solid guy. That chair so big is for me. No, no, no. Pour it out as a drink offering before the Lord. Amen. No, ma no matter what you have achieved, you have to pour it out because it's not yours. It's not something you've earned. 
it was brought to you, it was given to you by the grace and the mercies and the faithfulness of God. Amen? And sometimes through difficulty, the promised land awaits. Good news is that the promised land is for you. The bad news is God will give it to you little by little. Look at the book of Exodus. He did not give them the promised land in one shot, but give them little by little. Amen? And God is building our eternal world so that we can be matured to manage what God has given us for His glory. Amen? Three points to this story. It's a very simple story. First, sometimes we need to be reminded on the promises of God. There are times in our lives, seasons in our lives, that we need the water from the wells of Bethlehem to remind us that God is faithful. Amen? I mean, some of us have promises and it seems like we reach a place of victory or breakthrough and then we are back in the same cave. Okay? And we are thinking, haven't I already passed the test? Lord, I thought I already passed the test. I already passed the zigzag test. Why am I going through the same test? And you cry out to the Lord, I promise you this, God will give you the drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem to remind you that He is faithful. If you cry out to the Lord, He will answer. Amen? I want to share with you uh, uh, um, three Hebrew words. Okay, Hope can be found in three Hebrew words. At the end of this message, if you forget everything else, just remember three Hebrew words. Alright? And I, this was not the first time he was alone in a cave. And as the drink was presented to him, I'm sure that he reminded of his time years ago. During the years that David was on the run from Saul, he turned the cave into a hideout and he would hunker down, he would wait in hope, he would pray. And Psalms 57 was a prayer that he prayed to the Lord. The three Hebrew words which summarize his hope and ours is El Gomer Alai. Psalms 57 verse 2, El is God, Alai is for me, but Gomer, what does it mean? The verb behind Gomer occurs only five times in the Old Testament and they're all found in the Psalms. It means to bring to an end, to fulfill, to complete. So different translations say this, God who fulfills his purposes for me, the God who accomplishes all things for me, the God that performs all things for me. El Gomer Alai. He is the God who fulfills his purposes for you. Every word he has said to you will not fall to the ground in vain but He will fulfill it. It will come to pass. Amen. You need to believe by faith. Amen? And God and David was putting his hope and his trust in El Gomer Alai. And God will never get it wrong. He does not swing and miss. And every detail of our days comes through the blueprints of His loving and meticulous care for us. Amen? Amen? I just want to say to all of us that you will receive a drink from the wells of Bethlehem. You will be reminded. Amen? Second thing, God can use us to change the atmosphere around us. Some of us, we will, in different seasons, we will be the one drinking the water. But some of us, I pray that this will be true. That all of us here will be the mighty men that will, drink, that will give the drink of water to someone else. Amen. There are certain seasons that we drink, right? But we cannot drink forever. Lah. There are certain seasons we need to be the mighty man to strengthen your pastor and say, Pastor, two years ago, God promised you this. And you lift up your leader's hands and say, El Gomer Alai. And, and you look at the, at the text. 
If three mighty men full of the Spirit can do this, what about an entire army? And the entire scripture shows us that after that, they received an incredible breakthrough that they won the victory. There was another story um, about David's best friend, Jonathan. It seems like David has a gifting to deposit this courage to those around him. And David's best friend, Jonathan, there was once that the entire nation of Israel, they were so scared of Philistines that they were hiding in the fields and they were wearing the enemy's armor. God was like, don't see me, I'm one of you, okay? But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jonathan, and he and his armor bearer began to climb the mountain. Do you all know the story? And then they began to, to kill the enemy, and then because of their act of courage, those of their friends, their colleagues, and their, the rest of the soldiers, they saw those um, mighty act of courage. They, they took off the enemy's armor. They began to follow Jonathan and won a big victory. They had breakthrough for Israel. Amen. Can I say this? That your act of courage prophesies to people who are in need of a reminder that God is faithful and God will not forget His promises. Your courage can draw people out of fear and complacency and into their destiny. And sometimes you just have to not worry about the opinions of people and obey the drawing of the Spirit and do something different. And can I say to you, sometimes we think it's something big. Like I need to do something flashy and big and earth-breaking. Yes, sometimes God will ask you to do really huge acts of courage. But a lot of times, it's just an obedience to walk up to someone, to bring a message of hope, to call someone, to give someone a text or WhatsApp, to give a prophetic word, to do something you have not done before. Do not underestimate the impact of your drink of water that can do for someone else. And you may not know it at that time, but you might be drinking, you might be giving someone a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. Amen? I'll just share one, uh, um, last, one story with you before I go to my last point. Um, um, a few years ago, um, me and my family we were going through something really tough, okay? Um, um, my, my wife's side and my side of the family, we have some relationship problems, we have some sickness, and we have some financial issue. And me and my wife, every night we would go prayer walk, we would cry, we would take communion. Um, the act of communion became very religious <laughs> because it's like, oh, I have to do it every night. It was like root by fear, I have to do this. And because I'm like the husband and the head of the house, I would try to do things to ensure my family is okay because I'm the man of the house. And uh, because I'm a cell leader and I'm a shepherd, so usually when people ask, how are you doing, I'll smile and say, God is good. He's faithful because I try not to show them how broken I was inside. And uh, I think about two years ago, we had a, a special night meeting. You all know Heidi Baker? Yes. Heidi Baker was powerful. And she was like, wow, people on the floor. I was in charge of the auto workers. That means I catch people. Bah, 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 and put them in the cloth and everything. So it was one meeting and then everyone had cleared out, but people were still on the floor rolling. I don't know what they're doing, laughing. And, and, uh, and then... Um, and Pastor Young and Pastor Daphne were in the room uh, with Heidi Baker. And I, was, I tried to make sure that the hospitality is okay, that the, the, the other room is ready for their lunch. That I was just about to call them to go to the other room. I went inside the room, and then they were on the floor laughing like usual. You know, this is what Heidi Baker usually does. And then um, Heidi Baker said, come and join us. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> it's okay. I'm 
premium proper, but uh, uh, Pastor Daphne said, come and join us. And I, I came close, and um, Heidi touched me, and I went down on the floor. Okay? I don't know how long I was on the ground, but I can tell you that um, the Lord met me in such a remarkable way. Um, it was like I was marked with the glory of God. Okay? Um, and, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. I could not move. He asked me two questions. The first question is, can you move? I said, Lord, I cannot do anything right now. He said, I want you to always remember this moment. Remember how helpless you feel when you try to do things in your own strength. When you try to rescue your family in your own strength. I said, Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, let me move. And then she let me move, okay. And then he asked me, do you believe that I love your family more than you love your family? Then I just broke down. Lord, you love my family. You love my family. I will not try to strive anymore. I give it to you. Uh, and then Heidi touched me. Okay. And then I turned to her, and she gave me this word. She said, "You have taken care of the families of other people. God Himself will take care of your family." Come on. And I, 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 I felt it was like a, a drink of water into my soul. Things that I thought that no one else knew, but she spoke life to me. I, 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 I don't know how to explain that experience of glory, okay? Um, if I can say this. <laughs> I've been married. I have two kids. I've cried. I've had it's precious moments for me, okay? I, I was very happy. <laughs> Marriage, very happy. Wedding, happy. When my kids were born, very happy. There's nothing like that moment when I touched by the glory of God. I do not explain to you. And I've, since then, I said, God, touch me with the glory again. Touch me with the glory again. Because the Bible says that you shall taste and see that God is good. It doesn't say you shall reaffirm and acknowledge that God is good. A lot of you, you have been acknowledging that God is good. But you will taste and see that God is good. Amen. 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 And, um, and I feel that for some of you, that sometimes God will just give you a word. Will be one sentence, will be just a statement that will, speak, that will speak a life to your entire situation. It will be the word that you need. Amen? And I believe that God is going to do so today. The last thing I want to say that Christ has broken through for you. I think it will be very natural to say that these mighty men, they showed their love for David, their king. And what we must do now is we must show our love for Christ who is our King. And we must do however risky and however costly it may be. And this will be a very valid application for the sermon. Like, oh, because, because Christ has broken through for us, we must break through for Him. Uh, but I don't think this is the best understanding and application for us. Okay? I think what this mighty man did for David points us not so much as what we can do for Jesus, but it points to us what Christ has done for us. Because Jesus is the one who has broken through at Bethlehem. And he went there not from a cave, but he came down from the glory of heaven. And he's emptying his kenosis. There's a theological term called kenosis, which is the emptying of Christ. It did not happen just at the cross, but it happened when he even agreed to be born in Bethlehem. To be a man. And he came... And he became our living water. And he broke through the shame, 
this curse of sin and death for us. And we've come to the place that every time when we go through hardship, trials, sorrow, we must know this, that we are not under wrath, but we are under mercy. That every time when you go through certain things, do not think that God is angry with you, that the wrath of God is upon you because He has broken through that the wrath of God is never upon you. You might be disciplined, but it's never rough. That's the difference. When I, I don't know why you all punish your kids, but I punish my kids, okay? I use the wooden spoon, but never mind. You can talk to me after that if you're angry. <laughs> I, I sometimes cane my kids, okay? But it's never rough. It's always discipline. Because I have an image of them. Me and my wife have a goal of where they should be in terms of maturity. So we will do all we can to discipline them in love to ensure they, they go to this place. That's how the Father sees us. He will discipline us with love so we come to the place of maturity. So you have to know that you are never under wrath but under the mercies and the grace of God. Amen? I just want to end here right now but I want to give you a short story. Um, you know, many years ago, there were some kids in Korea. They were orphaned by the war. There was a, the Korean War. And a few Christian missionaries took them into their orphanage. Right? And they were doing a pretty good job, but they, were, they, were, they realized that these orphans, they could not sleep at night. Okay? And they were wondering, why can't you sleep at night? You're safe. This is a safe place. And they realized that the orphans could not sleep at night because they were always worried whether they, when they wake up, would there still be food? Because they were living in that trauma, okay? They scared to go to sleep because they, 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 they are just so worried when they wake up, they will be starving again. So by the wisdom of God, if I can say so, the missionaries allowed every child to sleep with a loaf in their hand. To sleep with a loaf in their hand. Okay, to, to, to remind them when you wake up, it will be fine. You'll be taken care of. Okay, and I feel that all of us we have this loaf in our hand. As this promises that the, the warrior has broken through for us, we are never under wrath but under mercy. And the second thing, El Gomer Alai, he will fulfill his purposes for you. So even when you go through hard times and hard press on all sides, perplexed, you have a loaf of bread that you can wake up every morning knowing that His mercies are new every morning. You do not need to rely on the mercies of yesterday. I keep in my fridge. No? <laughs> His mercies are new every morning.